Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 at Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chouinard. I'm here with Glenn Willis, and we are recording after a fascinating Heat-Hawks game. I don't know about you, but I I, I was a little bit surprised when, uh, maybe surprise isn't the right word, but on Thanksgiving Day, the Hawks put out a video of all the players' favorite Thanksgiving food, and there were a lot of people that said mac and cheese. Uh, John and Anyeka said they love stuffing. Nate advocated for collard greens, and Clint Capella said that his favorite Thanksgiving food was corn on the cob. And I'm thinking, man, that's that's tough on the teeth. And uh, yeah, and then you know we two games without Clint Capella, and those two games were not good. Not uh, good at all. <laughs> Not good at all. All right, so let let's maybe start with what's fresh on the mind. Uh, what what can we take away for from this heat game where you know it looked like the the heat zone had some uh, limiting effects on the uh, Hawks offense. Yeah, it was strange in the first half. It, I think everyone, I think Hawks fans, were probably feeling okay about things. The Hawks were. Passing the ball more than I, I don't. I don't try to switch subjects yet. Passing the ball more than they did in the prior game, um, moving the ball well, kind of relocating well, you know, things like that. But and then uh, kind of out of nowhere, Spo like with these little subtle things that he does, rolls out this three quarter court kind of soft press just to bleed the shot clock and to to kind of put you behind on your play, behind on your set, behind on your actions. And, you know, in the, in the second quarter, it was a uh, one two, two soft press into a one two, two zone. And then for a little while, it was a one two, two soft press into a 2-3 matchup zone. And then in the third quarter, he went full on 2-2-1 soft press, which puts two people up into the ball pressure kind of position. He bled even more clock. And, and I felt like the Hawks... Like I went back and rewatched the third quarter, like as soon as this game ended, to make sure that I kind of my observations were square. You know, two two one press, you could pass it to the middle of that if you want, and kind of go from there and try to attack, um, attack it. The Hawks dribbled the ball up every single time, not a single pass to navigate kind of any of that pressure to kind of get the ball across midcourt earlier and so you know I, I heard from a lot of Hawks fans towards the end of this game after that are that are frustrated and this is one where I, I I understand you know because it just seemed like they didn't really try to do anything to stop the heat from kind of bleeding seven eight seconds off their shot clock every possession with that soft three quarter 
uh, court press. And and it, then after that, I don't think it was so much that they were running terrible stuff. I just think they were behind. Like, you know, they, they, had, they were short on the clock, having to play a little bit more quickly, and they were only getting to maybe their second option because there was really just no time on the clock. And, you know, it, it's funny because when I rewatched the third quarter, after about the seven-minute mark in the third quarter, they did away with that two-two-one three-quarter court press. Um, because I think because Spo was shortening his rotation in the second half and thought that might be a little little tiring for his group. Uh, and the, but they had kind of set a pace that the Hawks had bought into and were still kind of kind of playing behind. So it it was a frustrating one to watch because it seemed like they had you know, decent control of the game in the first half. Spo does his his thing. And the Hawks never kind of found a way to kind of counter what it was that Spo threw out there. And, and the Heat defense just, I mean, was dominant in the second half. The Hawks could never really get anything going at all on offense. Yeah, with the, you know, with that 2-2-1 pressure that they were applying, you know, one of the things I, I think you can get out of that if you're the Hawks and you deal with it the right way or or you have the right personnel is like you can get you know f- some corner looks that are wide open because there's just one person on that back line so if you if you have a corner shooter to stick back there you know with the right ball movement with Trey throwing the right hit ahead pass or or maybe a, a sequence of of two hit ahead passes you know that ball can get to the corner and you can get an open three out of that but the hawks really don't have that kind of shooter that could they could make that pay. Um so so that seemed like a, a really good move. And you know, on the flip side, I thought what what the Heat also did really well in the third quarter was just the opposite of what they were getting with that press, which is that on offense, they were just playing fast, like made baskets, misses, whatever. They just played with a lot of tempo and they were getting mismatches, you know, just you know, the, the Hawks had to just guard who was closest to them because they weren't really getting their defense set the way they wanted to. It was just sort of a, a scramble mode on defense because the Heat were pushing with good tempo. And, you know, maybe some of that was the fact that, you know, the Hawks had to play so often uh, after after missing baskets instead of after made baskets. But there were even some made baskets where I thought the Heat, you know, got reasonable tempo and forced the, the Hawks' defense to be uncomfortable just by getting up getting the ball up so fast that they couldn't really get set. Yeah, and then the the other wrinkle in the second half was the Heat would clear out the weak side, basically we Bam and a guard, usually Hero. Hero, yeah. And Bam would set a simple pin down. Hero would lift kind of towards the nail and get that. And the big would help onto Hero, and Bam would just go to the rim for the lob. And it's like um, but the that whole – um, quarter, you know, it was like the Hawks could never, <laughs> could never figure that out. And, and I was like, there, okay, there's a few things you, you could front that guy coming off that screen. You could top that guy before he ever gets to the screen, really, or comes off that screen. And then your big doesn't have to, presumably, doesn't have to help onto the guard that's lifting out of that pin down. And then that, I mean, that just to me, I, I don't, I don't, I try not to overstate these things, but I felt like kind of, you know, third or fourth grade kind of level level basketball, you know, to cover that. And it was just frustrating to watch the Heat run that over and over and over and get the same same result there. Finally, um, after a while, the Hawks started fronting it. Um, and 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 what that did is it kind of opened up a little bit, a little bit on the strong side. 
um because the Hawks are we're getting a little bit of help from the kind of the strong side having some kind of help back towards that and stuff like that but yeah just basic stuff that, i mean i should say seems like kind of basic stuff maybe, maybe there's more going on there than i'm appreciating or something like that but that you know a simple pin down a lifting into a, a curl and the big kind of you know taking advantage of the big man defensive big man helping up on the guard lifting it's that's like Seems like super basic stuff that they should be able to solve without the Heat running it seven, eight times or seven or eight times, whatever it was. It felt like before they kind of get to some kind of a technique adjustment there. So that, that's Hawks fans that saw that were frustrated. I I totally understand. Yeah, and it, I, you know, on the right night, that's an unsolvable problem, but it's a little more solvable on a night where Hero goes zero for eight from three. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, if you're if you're worried about that, his jump shot, then then that, you know, that limits the number of options there. But, you know, maybe after a while, you've 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 got to play it a little bit differently. You, you know, there are some things that you can do footwork wise, like you may have to concede that hero can change directions and go back towards the rim. But make him do it, like make them try some other version, some counter to the original play. They, they never did that. You know, you. Uh, <laughs> Frustrating. Yeah. The, it, the other, it's the, annoying. The other yeah. He got a triple double out of that one play. Cause he, you I, know, I, the assists know, were there. Like it, doesn't it? Yeah. And the other beautiful part for Spo is hero wasn't even headed for the three point line. He's heading for the nail and that sucks the, the defensive big up because, because he's lower. Right, if he's going for the three point line, a Congo. Right, but that's what, what I'm saying though is like he can go around, he can go around the screen the entire other way, and then he's going to have to flare back for a three right. or something like that to make it pay. But do that, make make him go that way. Like, right. you, yeah, you take away the nail going around the screen the other way, but then his exactly. his counter is going to have to be able to shoot a three. Yeah, if you find it like they eventually did, the flip is the player screen, right? That exactly like you said, but again, make them execute that. Make them show you that they that that's that's something they're ready to go go to right away, um, and it just I mean it's it's frustrating that watching the Hawks today on both ends in the second half felt like a team just kind of banging their head into a brick wall over and over and not really stopping and, and, and thinking to themselves like maybe there's another way to get around this brick wall you know it, it just felt like it was kind of the same thing over and over and over so and that that's that that. That's frustrating, you know. So um, the Heat were down a few key players. It's a, it's a game. Um, I, I never want to put too much importance on any regular season game, really. Uh, but it's a game you feel like the Hawks should win, you know, uh, even though Clint has been massively important and valuable for them this year. Um, I mean, I, thought, I felt like to agree to a large degree, Clint's loss showed up more in the Houston game. Um than this one, but that's not to say his loss wasn't felt uh, in this one, the Kaminsky, even if we're just talking about the Kaminsky minutes, right? Um, and and then, um, you know, Akagua has to play play more minutes, and, you know, I, I think Clint's experience gets them maybe a little more organized on the backside there, you know, on that pin-down curl play, maybe. I think, I think there's some chance Clint gets that fixed on his own, you know, more quickly than a Congo just based upon experience, you know, and things like that. I, I'm not down on a Congo. I think a lot of Hawks fans are kind of getting down on him, but I still keep very high on him. Um, but I mean, when it comes to kind of anchoring and organizing a guy with the experience Clint has, especially all the postseason experience he has, he's seen kind of everything. 
Um, I have to think that Clint kind of gets that fixed on his own without even needing anything kind of the coaching staff today if he if he's in there. But um, but hey, the Heat were missing key guys too, you know. So it's not like the Hawks were, uh, you know, uniquely shorthanded coming into the game. You mentioned Capella's absence just now, and and so that forces I wouldn't say that forces, but that. Uh, resulted in in Kaminsky playing minutes at center, and he hit a couple of threes tonight. But you know, instantaneously, when he was in there, the Heat were just going to the rim. For you know, yeah. what can you do differently there? Can you play Jalen Johnson at center? Is is there some other option? Like how? What's the way to rejigger this? Because I think we're two games in now of, or maybe more of just. Uh, teams getting whatever they want in the paint when Kaminsky's in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I commented on Twitter that that in the second half I felt I felt like they need to eliminate his minutes. Um, and to be fair to Frank, he's still working back from injury. I know you mentioned that before. We talked about him. You know, he's only about a year out, only about twelve months out from the surgery, right? And stuff. So um, I always want to share that and kind of fairness to him. But that doesn't change what. I think the right decision would have been tonight, from my view anyway, would be to at least eliminate him in the second half. I, you know, in this game, playing Jalen at center when Deadman's on, um, I mean, Deadman's so crafty that maybe this wasn't the right one for that. <laughs> you know, maybe it's getting JC to cover those minutes at the five. I think generally Jalen can play three or four minutes and a half uh, at five. If we may, we all of us may recall, the preseason game against Milwaukee, the second game, he played a, a lot at center in the second half of that game and, and surprised me at kind of how well he did um, and such. But the Heater, like, have so many veterans and they're so crafty that that might not have been the right solution tonight. Um, but, you know, slide J.C. over to the five. I, I think J.C. is – I understand a, a bit Nate's reluctance maybe to play the J.C. at five because he's been so good and positively impactful defensively at the four to kind of keep him in that defensive role that in a vacuum makes some sense to me. But I mean, as soon as he came on the court in the first half, the heat like stopped trying to generate a million Max Struess three pointers and immediately started attacking the paint. And I, I think there, I think you have to react to that. And and, I, and it seems like to me, nothing else all suggested they were kind of really reacting to that. And, and Frank looks like a guy who's still trying to kind of work, He's not the most mobile guy anyway. He's a more offensively skilled guy. But he historically, he's not this bad on defense. He at least can kind of cover the basics and the fundamentals and all that sort of stuff. I mean, he was, he was a step and a half behind on every single thing that was coming at him in this game, which made it frustrating, I think, for Hawks fans. I was frustrated to see him put back on the court uh, in the second half um, in really important minutes and an important game. Are there other takeaways? Well, what did you think of uh, Trent Forrest being used tonight? I thought he was good. I mean, it was interesting to see him get the air, what I would consider the air in holiday minutes, um, and just get a, a bigger guy out there. The Heat don't really play small guards. You know, the, I mean, uh, I know they play Martin at the four, but they, they kind of play four guards or, or four guards slash wings in, in a big and play a lot of five out and things like that. But you know, um, all the guys that they play, whether it's Gabe Vincent, who didn't play in this game, to Highsmith. I mean, they, they play physical, big physical guys, right? 
and stuff like that. So I, so I understood kind of going with the bigger guy. He made a few nice plays today. He was, I thought he was good on defense. I thought he gave them kind of, you know, I thought he didn't, I, I felt like to start with, he didn't hurt them at all. And I thought he made a few positive plays as well. So I think that, that tweak uh, worked out well. I, I know Hawks fans are wanting to be really hard on Nate, but that move I thought worked out well. Yeah. It seemed like he did, uh, did well decision wise, uh, you know, for what he, for what role he had to play in the offense, his decisions on offense were, were good ones. Agreed. Uh, there was a Rockets game in there too. <laughs> if you remember yeah, that one, as I think the Rockets game still bothers me more than this heat loss. I mean, it's frustrating as it was that there wasn't, it didn't seem to be any kind of a different adjustment. I I felt like, um, you know, for me, and, I, and I'm interested to see if you feel as strongly as I do, or if you feel differently. So, I look forward to your comments here, but. The Hawks, as I said on Twitter, the Hawks were having a lot of fun there in the, at whatever point it was in the third quarter. I think there was like 5.30 left in the third quarter, something like that. The Hawks are up 16 points. Trey and DeJounte are, are absolutely just shredding uh, the Rockets' defense. And uh, and it felt like, you know, when those double technicals happened – you know, it, it's to me, it's always interesting to see, like, okay, is this going to change the course of the trajectory of the game? Is one team going to kind of get more mad? And you know, and and my thought process is like, you're up, you're up sixteen, you're up uh, sixteen points. Um, why kind of uh, you know wake the dog? You know, why kind of stir stir things up? You know, uh, in that way. Yeah. But to me, from what I was watching, I, I, I obviously I can't be inside Trey Dejounte's heads, but I felt like Trey Dejounte made at that point in the game decided the rest of the game was going to be about them punking the young Rockets and trying to both get forty or fifty or whatever <laughs> they had in mind, and and just completely kind of lost focus at managing the game. And kind of putting the game away as the opportunity was right there, you know, for them to do that. Um, and and I and that's that's one. I mean, I, I you know, the word like unforgivable is way too strong of a word, but uh, there's there's something there that it's I, I guess inexcusable for me is to kind of shift the focus away from managing the game, getting the win, doing the work, and shifting it into some sort of kind of way to. Um, make it about your ability to embarrass the guy that's trying to defend you. Um, you know, I thought Nate kind of spoke a bit towards this in the in after the game where he's like, you don't you don't f with the game, you don't mess with the game, you don't do that. You know, and I I I, I agree with Nate uh, around that, but in my mind, Trey Dejounte kind of shifted the focus away from winning and man- managing and winning the game to them wanting to kind of make a point, prove a point, and that's just something that. Can't happen in my view. Did you see it that way, or or did you kind of have a different takeaway there? Um, I guess I would only tweak it in, in this one regard. Like at the time, they had it going, so if you can keep it going, doing that, you know, the the Rockets were doing a lot of switching, so that's going to necessitate some one on one play there too, right? So as long as it's continuing to roll, it's okay, but you have to have the self-awareness to say, okay, uh, 
you know, things have changed. The, the hot hands have cooled off, you know, now it's time to kind of regroup and go about it a slightly different way. And they didn't have the mental fortitude to give themselves that sort of reality check when it was failing at the end. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I think they made made four shots in the fourth quarter, had one assist in the fourth quarter. Uh, and and I thought the Rockets kind of generated a lot of intensity and emotion. Um, you know, the thing for me is like the double text, like that stuff happens all the time. Right. And, and, and the, you know, what the double texts were from, though, was because DeJounte gave Jabari the little head tap. Which is, to me, I mean, I, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to sound like like in, in baseball, there's all these like old like announcers that have a problem with when guys come out for batting practice and they're not wearing their uniform the right way. I, I that's not what I'm trying to say here, but like bopping like and like I said, it matters that you're cruising at that point in time. It's just like don't you know why are why are you trying to kind of poke your opponent into some sort of response that could come back to bite you, you know? And first of all, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't do that anyway. I'm not an NBA player, so I don't know what's said on the court. Maybe if someone said the right thing to me. I right. Exactly. You don't know what was said before the head boop either. So it could have been. But, yeah. But just my observation, I was like, man, that's ridiculous. That's, I mean, that's just silly and completely unnecessary. And if I were Jabari again, I don't know what else was done happening, you know, if I were Jabari, that would absolutely piss me off. You know, it's like, okay, I know I'm a rookie, but you know, I have a little bit of respect. And uh, and the Rockets got their uh, revenge in the in the, the sweetest way you, they could for them, which was they came back and won the game. Yeah, and and it's you know, in discussing sort of the the fourth quarter offense or whatnot, there like. There does have to be some sort of, like, you know, when you're when we're talking about okay, uh, double technicals happen. Trey and Dejounte they do have it cooking. Uh, there, there's going to be some tendencies, especially like against the switching defense, where you're you're going to have to make some one on one plays and such. But there were so many one pass, zero pass possessions, yeah. like. There's a certain amount of feel when you're the other three players on the court, whether it's Hunter or Collins or Congo or somebody else, like it's going to have, it's going to be really hard to have feel, uh, you know, with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. If the only time you touched the ball was grabbing a defensive rebound and handing it to DeJounte. And if that's the touch that you've had in the second half, it's going to be hard to take a shot with, with three minutes left. Uh, if, if you haven't, you know, just, done some sort of touch, come to the top of the key, caught the ball, dribble handoff, give it to somebody else. Like any kind of like ball touch, ball feel, ball possession, make a pass, something. If you just don't touch the ball at all, it becomes very hard late in the game to do stuff because you just don't have any rhythm, any feel whatsoever. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I mean, people will be mad if I don't mention, like obviously the offensive rebounds for Houston were a right. major issue. They missed Clint. Hawks should have Hawks should have rebounded better. They should have team rebounded better. That was an opportunity because some people are like they scored 122 points. I mean, Nate said 122 points is enough to win the game. If we defend and rebound, we win the game. I still think that 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 doesn't allow you to discount. I think my biggest issue with the game was what how Trey DeJounte handled things and shifted the focus to their own kind of little personal agenda that they had. This looked to me. It looked to me. I, I'm again. I'm not going to say 
like say that like I know what was in their head, but that's the way it looked to me, you know, and it shifted away. And, and you're exactly right. You can't warm JC or DeAndre back up with three minutes to go when they haven't had a, you know, but more than like a, a, a casual touch here and there for the last five, six, seven minutes of the game, you know, or whatever. I, I do want to address that a lot of a lot of things going around Twitter where Trey was waving like JC and DeAndre out of the way as if that were selfish. No, that that's that, that's not in yeah. my mind that doesn't go in that category. Right. Um guards position other players sure. all the time to get help defenders moved out of the way and to create angles and distances, and that's completely normal. That was that that now that's not to say that isolating, continuing to isolate was the right move. Right, but just the act of waving someone into a certain spot—that happens the whole game, every yep. game, all the time—and yep. that's not an example of something that was uh, uh, suboptimal to me. That's normal, so I wanted to kind of kind of point that out. But I mean, against the Heat, you know, in tonight's game, kind of got into isolation. Trey pulling up from you know thirty-one feet, you know, after he's already one for seven from three. Uh, in this game, Trey Dejounte had each had three made field goals versus the Heat. You know that's the complete opposite of what happened versus the Rockets, where they were absolutely cooking the whole game until the fourth quarter. Um, but the offensive kind of obstacle there again was against the the Rockets. It was like the Rockets kind of found a way to foil the ISO, you know, ISO, you know. Uh, approach Trey and DeJounte were using there and the Hawks Trey whether it was the coaching staff or Trey and DeJounte or a combination whatever the Hawks could not find something to move on to to unlock the offense again and then there was that same issue against the Heat tonight even though tonight it was really more of like the whole second half but still they couldn't kind of find something to move on to a different approach to move on to in this game um, and it, it's, it feels a little silly. Even sometimes I have to check myself a little bit talking about the Hawks offensive issues because they were second in offense last year, you know, but they're below league average, you know, in, in offense right now. And their fourth quarter offense has been a pretty fundamental issue in some of their, their losses uh, this year. You know, I, I'm, I'm beyond thinking like their trace just got automatically get this team back to like a top five offense. I don't think that's in the cards. I think top 10 is possible if they can kind of um, sort out um, more ball distribution, a little bit more movement and things like that. I thought, I thought Hunter had an awesome game tonight against the heat, you know, for example, and if they can find a way to get more consistent involvement and production and constructive play from JC and Hunter, I think that takes a lot of pressure off of train design in a game like this, especially tonight uh, as such. But even though Hunter and JC were both good, you know, tonight, at the end, it was kind of Trey DeJounte trying to kind of figure things out. And I know that's their role to a degree, you know, and that's not completely ridiculous for them to want to kind of solve the problem for their team. But it has to be, I think, a little bit more collaborative and inclusive uh, sometimes. So, you know, I always try to kind of spin forward, like, what's up next? And will the Hawks kind of show um, an ability to kind of move forward in their problem solving or not? It'll, you know, take the next game. But... Hawks fans that I heard from that are just like kind of in the moment done with all of this and done watching this, you know, <laughs> I know the worst emotions kind of come out right after a game, but um, yeah, they, they've still been a, a good team for a lot of this regular season, you know, uh, and I've done a lot of good things, but I, I do have to wonder kind of, you know, 
what is the next step to try to kind of generate some more consistent offense? I'll put it that way, to generate some more consistent offense. Um, game to game, as they see different schemes, different approach, defensive approaches thrown at them and, and things like that. So I, I'm interested in kind of how they move forward from here. Uh, this could be a thing we look back and think, not the biggest deal, two bad games, like some ugly moments and some frustrating kind of, you know, fan viewing. But if they kind of saw some things and, and spin it forward and kind of play better, great. If they're stuck here for a while, that's going to be tough. Yeah, I have uh, just two random thoughts, just things that I wanted to include that we haven't really hit on yet, I don't think. But, like, I thought that both Kongwu and Hunter in the first half of the Heat game were doing, you know, terrific things in terms of help defense, you know, meeting people at the rim uh, when the initial defense broke down. Like second half was a little bit different and, and it was, you know, harder for a Kongwu to be a help defender in the, in the second half because he was in the primary action over and over again. But uh, I thought he and Hunter did a really good job in the first half uh, that the heat struggled. I thought in the first quarter uh, just because, you know, they were getting shots at the rim, but they just weren't getting good shots at the rim because the help was so good. And then really, you know, we talked about the Houston game and, you know, how it was two things, you know, rebounds and, and fourth quarter offense. Uh, but, you know, honestly, to me, maybe the most, you know, unforgivable thing about what the Hawks did and it, it's human nature, I suspect, in some sort of way, but. Man, the first five minutes of defense in that Rockets game, maybe people didn't even watch. You don't have it turned on yet. It's what, the uh, Friday after Thanksgiving, people are doing things. Maybe you don't see the game until the second half. But, man, those first five minutes were brutal on defense. Uh, They just did not set any sort of good mojo, good vibes, good – you know, they they let the Rockets know that, hey, if you just kind of do some stuff, there there are going to be some points because – you know, if you're just patient enough to do a little bit, there's there's going to be a breakdown coming because, like, just basic dribble handoff stuff, and somebody's just dribbling <laughs> right at the basket, no help at the rim, no ball pressure, nothing. Like it's just here, here, go walk up to it. Um, it was really, really bad those first few minutes. Um, and and that's the kind of you know, the the Rockets have struggled. The Rockets had won what one home game, I think, all season prior to that game. And you you can set a tempo when you're a good team in that first five minutes and and just kind of uh put some distance between you and them and keep it because you know you've got a little bit of a mental edge after you set the tempo in those first few minutes. And the Hawks did the complete opposite. Yeah, Rockets had one home win before that game, and Heat had one road win. Before this one, so that's, that's pretty rough. Uh, but I think your points about a Congo and Hunter, especially the Heat game, were were good. Hunter, in my mind, Hunter's been really good defensively all year. But he's been—I think he's taking maybe the most noticeable step in his help defense on the interior when he needs to get into the paint, kind of help rescue a play. Maybe Trey has a big eye on him down there. He comes and scrams him out of there, or. Someone on the on the strong side uh, loses contain the ball handler. He kind of comes and you know takes care of that you know path and things like that. Been been really good and stuff. But you know, and and, and I think your point about the first five minutes of defense against the Rockets was like that. That screamed out to me that the Hawks plan was we're just going to outscore you tonight, right? <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna. 
be in second gear or third gear on defense or whatever, how you want to talk about it. And those aren't the habits that, that are going to help you achieve your goals across the you know regular season. So it's just, you know, it's uh it's kind of kind of crazy to, to think about that. And then uh oh, we have uh, a distinguished guest jumping in here. <laughs> we have a visitor. Hello, hello. Hey, Hi Wes. Wes. How are you? Hey, hey, how's everyone doing? Doing all right. How do I give you a proper intro? I, I didn't I didn't um, do my homework before this. Well, me any intro will do. <laughs> At Bloghawk, everyone knows and loves okay. our guy Wes at Bloghawk on Twitter. Uh, been driving the P3 Hoops Twitter uh, during games uh, the last few weeks. And whether he's writing a recap or a follow or whatever, great, great work over at P3 Hoops. So uh, thrilled to have him jump in here and get his insight. Well, yeah, what 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 are your main takeaways? We're actually doing two games because we haven't potted in a while. So you've got Houston, you've got Miami. Go ahead and share share the big thoughts. Oof. Well, I didn't watch Houston live. Uh, I, I ended up not really watching the entire the thing in entirety. But I mean, I've seen basically all the other games and most of them multiple times. So. Um, yeah, that game was, at least as far as Houston goes, that one kind of devolved after, you know, they took a big lead, um, Trey and DeJounte were, you know, kind of wanted to take control. They kind of wanted to put it out of the reach on their own. They were going a little rogue. Um, but I mean, definitely compared that game to this game, I think it's a little unfortunate because I think for the most part, um, they had a better process today where they were still trying to operate within the, you know, the flow of the offense and um, for the most part, till it kind of got out of hand um, today against the heat, you know, they were still trying to, you know, run the offense and you know, largely they were, they were doing a pretty good job. They got stifled um, trying to get into the paint in the second half and um, could never really get anything going, but um I've I've got two questions for you, and I feel like I have I had these two questions. Yeah, I, mean, I wanted to kind of, ask them, it's kind and of, like I'm glad you're here because I think I've already uh, asked. Because you don't want to take away. Okay, go right ahead. All right, so so I think that I have asked these questions of Glenn before, okay. and they're still like sort of I'm still sort of intrigued by them in my mind. So let me let me ask them to you. First one is. What do you make of a Kong Wu season to this point? To be perfectly frank, uh, on some levels, it's been a little disappointing. I mean, um, again, he, he's, you know, he's still, um, I think he's, obviously a lot of us talk him up as, you know, one of the best backup centers in, in the league. He's a guy who was number six overall pick. A few years ago, he's got a ton of talent, but... Um, you know, as a center, you need to anchor, you need to anchor the defense. You need to, you know, be, you know, the guy down low who's crashing the boards and um, be able to defend your position and communicate and call out, you know, certain, certain calls on the defense. And um, I think a lot of talk was about him adding a jumper and he's added a little bit of a jumper in the off season, but that, you know, that's kind of window dressing. Um, I think some of it is, 
you know, you know, the certainly spacing the floor would help, but I think as a center, especially as someone who's six eight like him, he's an undersized center, you know. Today's a good example, like, you know, obviously looking towards what what Bam does for Miami is is a good way to that Okongwe needs to kind of replicate his game. But you know, sometimes he's you know, I don't I don't know if he's communicating like like a, a Bam out of Biowood or if he's uh, you know, ranging over and, and protecting the rim the same way. It seems like he's just not having as much of an impact um, defensively. He'll make some, you know, kind of highlight blocks here and there and things of that nature, but nothing, you know, he had a perfect chance these last two games where he's, he's, you know, literally the starting center with Clint Capella being out and uh, nothing about it really says that he's, you know, protecting the rim at a, a super high level and that he's, you know, commanding the defense in that way or that he's getting rebounds and that he's, you know, setting screens on offense and rolling hard at the rim. You know, he does that well, generally speaking, but um, he's kind of gone absent for some stretches between the last two games. I mean, you know, yesterday he had two, day, two games ago, the last game against uh, Houston and Houston, he had, you know, no shots. And some of that was, the flow of the offense stopped looking his direction, but you know, someone as talented as him, someone who's got that bounce as him, he needs to make himself a force on, on both ends and, you know, roll to the rim and get some rebounds and putbacks and things of that nature. And I just feel like he hasn't really had the impact you would expect of a guy who was drafted as high as he was, has, has the kind of expectations he has. I mean, some of it is, Hey, he's been a backup center his, his whole time and just, really maybe hasn't had the minutes to develop, but um, if you're someone who thinks the Hawks should move on from Capella and give him the reins, like <laughs> I haven't seen anything this season to say that he's, he's going to do all the things that Capella does for the Hawks at the moment. And the second question that I had was uh, you, know, if you look at, what we had with Trey coming into the season, there was all that talk of Trey's going to play off the ball. And we saw some of it in the preseason. We saw some of it in the early season. When, when you compare what we see now to what we saw earlier in the season, is Trey playing off the ball as much? Is he playing off the ball more? Or do you think he's playing off the ball like less than he was compared to what we saw early in the season? Yeah, I think it's been less. I think it's been you know less and less frequent as we go along. Like I said, it's it you know they they kind of run a play you know there are a couple plays where they you know get Trey to come off the ball or the, they'll have Dejounte bring the ball up and Trey's you know already in the corner and then he comes up off a screen to lift and, and come into the ball. But it's definitely just just a call that they have a few times in a game and doesn't seem like it's very natural with it. Certainly, and like definitely as, you know, as the game goes along, you see it less and less in the second half towards in the fourth quarter. You see them playing off the ball less, you know, it, it'll kind of end up being, okay, Trey's, Trey's running this play here. DeJounte's standing out, you know, above the break and then vice versa. DeJounte's running a play here. Trey's standing out, you know, way out and above the key. So it, it's 
it's more than previous seasons, but less than the preseason, less than the, the first couple of games. I noticed he was he was doing a lot. They were bringing him, you know, they were actually using him as like a, uh, I forgot what you call it, but you know, basically like a reverse kind of pick and roll. We have the guard screening for the big. Um, they did that quite often, but I haven't seen that as much less um, in recent days. So. Definitely seems like they're kind of getting away from it. They just do it a few kind of times just to show you, show you a little window dressing at the beginning of the game. But you know, I I don't think it's ever going to be that featured uh, an aspect of his game of what the Hawks want to do within the structure of you know what the coaching staff wants them to do and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, I mean. If you're expecting him to just just come off screen and sprint sprint into the corner and catch and shoot, like I'm seeing a little bit of catch and shoot from the corner, but just don't think there's going to be that great of an emphasis as far as you know taking a lot of his pull up jumpers or you know primary actions into him coming off the ball and catching and shooting. I just not going to expect it from Trey. Just just isn't really his game at this moment. All right. Uh, is, is there anything else you want to say about the Hawks after what is it, 20 games? Are we at the 20 game mark? Um, I think we just hit the 20 game mark. Yeah, I think they're 11 and 9 right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's been, I mean, one thing I will say is, you know, I think the defense is, is very legitimate, really real. I mean, I think a lot of guys are buying into it, and, and Glenn, Glenn's probably spoken to it a lot more. But I think guys are actually buying into what they want to do. It seems like there's a lot more activity um, as far as, you know, team defenders, guys guys coming in to help, help positions and being active and rotating and switching out on guys when that's necessary. So, you know, the last the, – the two previous years, there wasn't really much of a defensive identity, like just, just kind of guys just sort of – seem like they're going through the motions a lot but um basically i think the team has sort of shifted to okay well our defense is, is probably going to win us some games and just as long as we get enough offense um you know that'll be good enough and that's that's definitely a shift in identity i think that's more how nate would like to to play um it's what a lot of his pacers teams for examples were you know they were generally defense first with just enough offense, just enough um, guys you can look to to create and um, lift their offense, you know, when they need it. So, you know, I don't expect the Hawks to repeat their second rank de- offense from last year. It's going to come down, but um, they've, they've definitely got more balance. But at the cost of, you know, we've seen some, you know, not so great offensive performances. They just don't have the depth of guys that. They're relying on, on Trey a lot, and he hasn't. He's still trying to find his flow within this offense. He's not shooting as well as he could, and uh, so I think I do think the defense is gonna. I think this is gonna hold throughout the whole season. I don't think it's a fluke that their defense is higher ranked than their offense right now. It's probably gonna be the same throughout the season. Um, so you know whether or not that's a winning sort of combination as you get into later in the season and and hopefully into the postseason if you're if you're rooting for the Hawks to, to go into the postseason like that. Maybe it's a shift from seasons past, but 
you know, maybe this is a, a better formula to, um, to, to be more, more dangerous against good teams and in, in tough situations, like, you know, playoff type situations. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. It's like the, 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 they, the identity of the best version of the Hawks is DeAndre, John, and Clint play the heck out of the game as a as a defensive front court, and then you've got to get enough offense from from Dejounte and Trey to make that work. And uh, that's that's a pretty good recipe, but you need Clint Capella to make that work, as we've seen from these last two games. You, you right. need Clint Capella for that. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's pretty clear. Even even John, I mean, John had a good game against Miami today, but you know, a lot of his defense almost sort of plays off of Clint. You know, being that last guy and then rotating and protecting the rim, and John's got a little freedom to to roam around and help from the weak side and you know cut things off. So you know, that's that kind of the same with the with the Okongwu thing. Like the the John Okongwu minutes just aren't the same as the John Clint minutes. So, you know, that kind of multiplies upon itself. That's how Clint is. He's, you know, a guy like John just seems to play better defense next to a guy like Clint. So, um, yeah, it just speaks to his importance to to the team. All right. Well, I appreciate you uh, jumping in. Uh, Tough times to be a Hawks fan, but it it can change soon. It It can change in 24 hours even because there's a game tomorrow night, so. We shall see. We shall see. Yeah, it's always <laughs> interesting. Well, thank you for jumping in. We're going to have to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Have a good night.